0: This one's for all you W-2 earners who want to quit your job in the next 12 months. You're working on building up your side hustle of wholesaling real estate to earn your first hundred k. Today, we're going to talk about what types of rundown houses can make you a ten thousand dollar finder's fee. My name's David Lecco, and I created a process that's helped people close ten thousand real estate deals in all 50 states. called Deal Machine. Wholesaling is a strategy for you to make big checks by finding rundown properties, getting them under contract, and then passing them off to an investor who has money that can pay you a finder's fee. So you can make a lot of money without putting any of of your own money up and at risk. So when I started investing, I was actually trying to get a rental property, not wholesaling. And as a wholesaler, you'll end up selling your property to people like I was So listen to how I was thinking, and you'll see clearly how to find houses that will make you a $10,000 fee. My boss at the time had five rental properties, and I said, why do you have these rentals? I'm the kind of guy who's sacrificing the first five years of his 20s, just saving as much as 50% of my salary at the time. And I was putting all of it into my Roth IRA, and I didn't have any girlfriends, I did not have many friends. I didn't have a lot of trips that was going on. I had three roommates to minimize my living expenses, and I drove a Honda Accord with peeling paint. Retiring by 40 was a huge goal of mine, and I knew that time was on my side, and I needed to make sacrifices now. And My boss was actually ahead of me about 10 years, but he also had a goal of retiring by 40, so I valued a lot of what he said. He said, "Did you notice that your stocks, the value can go up and down like quite a bit." And I had, of course. And he said, "Well, his rentals, being in the Midwest, they don't really fluctuate in prices like they do on the coasts and in these really expensive markets. They kind of always just tick up like a bond." But the very most important aspect was as long as you buy them right and you manage them well, they'll actually throw off, you know, 5 to $500 a month, you know, in cash flow. And that is what would give him the ability to structure a goal to retire by the age of 40. So I changed my strategy immediately because the more I thought about it that night, I'm like, wow, it just makes so much more sense. Let's say I may have a $5 million in my you know, retirement account, which seemed like impossible, but that might be what it would take to retire, to truly retire. What if the stock market takes a huge hit? Then what am I gonna do? But if I always had cash flowing rentals, I could map it out and say, okay, I need about 15 rental properties. That's actually a very attainable number, it seems like. So I needed a house to cash flow. I went home and I looked on Zillow. I looked at everything for sale. And I knew this Midwest market was a great market for cash flowing properties because he just told me. But everything I was looking at that was listed for sale by an agent wasn't gonna cash flow. What I did was I checked on Zillow, You know, say it was for sale for like 250,000, It says what the estimated mortgage payment is right there. And all you have to do is add in the taxes and insurance, which uh, is a little checkbox. If that's not available on Zillow, you can just Google mortgage calculator and it will build in the taxes and insurance into the mortgage payments. You can figure out what that would be. Then I use a website called Rentometer where you plug in the zip code, the bedrooms and the bathrooms, and they get all their information from professional rental property Uh, Platforms, you know, uh, not important, but like Appfolio, for example, that's used by people that have over 50 rental properties. And it actually says what they rented for. And that's what feeds in Rentometer, those types of platforms. So it'll give you a rent estimate. And I'd plug in the same house. The mortgage would always be more than the rent estimate. So there was no dice. None of these houses were going to cash flow. And I spent a whole two evenings then just scratching my head and feeling pretty discouraged but I'm pretty solution oriented. I don't give up very easily. And uh, I asked the guy again, how'd you find these houses that cash flow? And he told me that he bought his properties in 2009 after the 2008 crisis, when things were at a great price and it would be difficult to find deals like his now, which kind of deflated the balloon, uh, any air that was left in it. But I still found a little bit more info Um, and I found a real estate meetup online, which I attended, and people, there were doing deals actively. So I listened to their advice when they said, I need to look off market, and I need to look for rundown houses and ask a hundred of them if they'd like to sell their house. They told me this was called driving for dollars. So two months in, I've written down 40 properties, typically after work, but before the sun goes down. And I see one two months in, that's being worked on that I know is on my list. So I frantically pull over, flip through my list. And of course, I see the address there. I rush home and I look up who owned the property, which you can do for free on your county website. And I see that it was bought in the last you know couple of weeks. And the price was for a lower price than I would have offered. So I knew this could have been an amazing first deal for me. Ugh. And so I just ended up keeping at it and I ended up finding a property, and he called the number on the postcard that I sent him, which said, I'm interested in purchasing your house at this address. I can close quickly and with cash. If you're interested, call or text me and have a great day. So he called me, and I think I was at my in my apartment on a Saturday afternoon, and he said he'd like to get an offer in his house, like kind of real slow and calm. And I told him I could meet at six o'clock. So I went over there and this is exactly what the house looked like. It had a blue tarp on the roof that was nailed in place. So instead of putting new shingles on, instead of just letting the house leak, they permanently installed a blue tarp, which lasts for probably a little while, but not nearly as long as a shingles. And this thing was like tattered up and there was water damage in the ceiling. There was another weird thing about the house too. Is it was like much smaller than the rest of the homes. It was on a huge front yard, but it was right up against the alleyway, so it had zero backyard because it, it just was so close. I learned later, property lots have these things called setbacks. So if you were to build a new house, they wouldn't let you build a house right up on the alleyway. It would need some buffer, which is how the rest of the houses looked, but this one was way too close. The inside was a shock to me. I did not grow up wealthy. I grew up in a 1200 square foot house, but we always had heat. We always had water. We always had food. And this was like something I had never seen before is the, the water heater and the toilet were pretty much touching. So if you were going to sit down on it, like you couldn't spread your legs, like it was, it was crammed in this small space uh, that had like a slanty, you know, roof. So it, it just didn't seem like this was a, like a bathroom like I'd ever seen before. And I, I found out later, you know, that wasn't to code. And that was just like an add on that didn't even have a foundation. Yet there was plumbing running to it. And then that also led me to notice that the bathtub was dripping and it had a little trickle going. It was winter time, and it was fairly cold out. And I said, hey, did you know your bathtub's running? And he said in a slow, calm voice, like he needed that to keep running so that the pipes wouldn't freeze. I've literally never thought about this in my whole life at this point. So I'm like, whoa, eyes wide open right away. So I he asked me what I would offer on the house and I didn't have any idea because I've never done this before. So I told him, hey, I'm gonna go give you an offer in 24 hours. I just need to go look at these pictures I just took and I'll get back with you. I'll call you. So I pulled up Zillow. There's a tab to look at houses that recently sold. And houses around that street, uh, they ended up selling for like a hundred thousand dollars. And I just, I, I saw this thing that if you need to redo the entire house, um, it may cost like fifty dollars per square feet for like a rental grade property. And so I ended up calculating, oh, this could cost like sixty five k to renovate. So I, I, I then was like, okay, if it's worth a hundred in perfect condition minus sixty five k, that means I have to offer at least you know, 35K or below in order for there to be any like meat on this this bone. And I was like, it's probably gonna cost more for me because I'm like a brand new investor. So I really subtracted down. I ended up offering $4,700. That's right, $4,782. And it was worth $120,000 after repair. Stick with me. There's like a few numbers here, but you're, you're gonna understand why I'm I'm sharing this with you it rented for 1 uh, 1200 which was one percent of the purchase price which is a good rule of thumb if a property would cash flow just like the whole purpose of me going on this roundabout way to find a real estate deal and you'll notice the house was worth 120 but i only put in you know 4700 bucks plus 65k so i'm all in 70 so that means the mortgage i'm paying is as if the house costs seventy thousand dollars when it's all said and done so it's going to be a lower monthly mortgage payment but it's worth 120 so it rents for about 1200 a month which means that this will cash flow because i had such a great deal that's what allows a deal to cash flow so it's great rental property for me so i could have wholesaled that for a fee cuz the difference between 120 which is what it was worth and 70,000 which is what i had all in is like a healthy 42% buffer that's called uh created equity so one way you could make a ten thousand dollar fee is if you find this type of house that's run down instead of a pretty house that's for sale on the market or just a pretty house in general and then let somebody like me close on it and i would happily today pay you ten thousand dollars for the opportunity to get a deal like this and that's exactly how you can make ten thousand dollars hey guys if you know you want to quit your job in the next three months make sure you're subscribed to this podcast because we've got some incredible frameworks with step-by-step instruction that you're not going to want to miss. Also, leave us a rating and review to let us know your favorite parts and why you want to get financial freedom. So pretty houses sell for retail, it's hard to cash flow, and ugly houses bought at a discount. The investor creates equity by fixing it, and they only pay the mortgage on a fraction of the value of the house, even though it rents for the full value of the house. So that makes it very easy to cash flow. And the framework I'm gonna tell you today is what conditions of the house should you look for, what neighborhood conditions should exist, and I wanna cover what information you should take down when you see a house like this, and what type of fee you could make from a house that you're looking at, and how to quickly calculate that. So in terms of conditions, I personally have my own preferences, but you could pretty much say there's like the worst houses, middle of the road houses, and I would say not too bad houses. The worst houses are going to be just like this one, where they're likely vacant, even though this one was not, but they have broken windows. It could be totally burned out. It could be so bad that everything in this house was built, and you can obviously tell like, Hey, this probably isn't to code. Just by the obvious signs of where I'm seeing the house built, right on the alleyway, for example. Middle of the road would be okay. Maybe there's tall grass and some fallen gutters, um, but the rest of the house looks like decent. Maybe it's just like not been updated in a while, but it's definitely not going to need like everything. And it's could be probably inhabitable. And then the not too bad houses; um, those are going to be like. Houses. Um, uh, let's see here. It could be like uh, uncut grass, you know, but but like broken blinds, but like not anything too detrimental. So, people, there are investors out there that will buy some of these conditions or all of them. So it doesn't really matter when you're just looking for the houses. Um, here's a full list of common things that you might look for: a for sale by owner sign, tall grass, stuffed mailbox. Window AC units. This one is not obvious, so I wanted to explain this one. A lot of houses that have been updated, they actually have central air conditioning. So if you see window AC unit, especially one that's maybe like sagging down or like a little discolored, dirty, or rusty, like you could tell the rest of the house probably needs a lot of love and care as well. Handicap ramp. If it's brand spanking new and shiny, you probably skip over it, but if it's a handicap ramp that looks like it needs a paint job that's maybe like a little bit warped, um, absolutely add this type of house because that means somebody's living there, they, they could be young and handicapped or they could be aging, which is the more likely scenario in my anecdotal experience and may need to move into a retirement facility, which was exactly the case on this $4,782 house I just mentioned is he was aging. He had surgery, so he could no longer cut the grass. And it'd been a long time since he kept up with the maintenance. So he was moving into a care facility. So he just needed to get rid of this house. If you live in a climate where there's snow and you don't see any tire tracks, that's another symbol you should add that house because somebody's not there. People own homes. That's what's normal. People live in homes. That's what's normal. So if there's snow and nobody's gone in or out, means there's probably not anyone there. Broken windows, boarded up windows, falling off gutters, in bad shape in general, uh, bad roof you know and peeling paint think about the neighborhood you're in if the entire neighborhood is like burned out terrible houses then that kind of sets the standard you want to uh you know get it. you'd add all of this but if you're in a really nice neighborhood but there's that one house that doesn't keep up with their landscaping or it's got some like moldy mildew looking on the side even though that house is generally like not too bad i'd still definitely add that house because it is the There's something off about how it looks compared to the rest of the houses. So any of these types of conditions that I just mentioned are things that you'd want to add. And here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to spend an hour driving around and feeling like you're not sure or not if you should write down a house if it meets the conditions. If you have any doubt at all, whether the house you're looking at meets any of these conditions, just add it and move on because at the end of the day, it's kind of a numbers game. And so if your gut just says, yeah, this looks a little bit less nice than the rest in the neighborhood, add it and move on. Now that's the conditions. Let's talk about the neighborhood. So there is a weird thing that happens in these Midwest markets where sometimes if the house is totally run down, in order to fix it up, it would cost more than what the house could, possibly sell for. So it just couldn't be a deal. Let me give you an example. Like In certain parts near downtown Indianapolis, then there's actually assessed value homes that are the best condition around that are $50,000. So to, to fully renovate a house, it costs more than $50,000. Like General rule of thumb is like $50 a square foot. So if it's a 10,000, if it's a thousand square foot house, like it's going to cost 50,000 to renovate it. So if the perfect condition on that street is 50k, you couldn't there's not a price you could buy this house for or an investor could buy this house for and still it would be a good deal. So just skip over those neighborhoods if most of the houses on the street have an assessed value of 50k or less. Like don't waste your time A quick way you could check that is going on Zillow and just look at this estimate. Of course, it's not perfect, but it gives you like a quick pulse on like, what are the values of these homes? Ideally, 100K or more per condition. Otherwise, don't mess with that neighborhood. Uh, Another quick framework to decide where are the optimal places to go look, other than right outside your back door, because why not just get familiar with your own neighborhood, is I prefer 20 minutes within the outer belt of the highway. So you can avoid competition from investors in quickly gentrifying areas where there's a ton of flips happening. And you are also staying close enough to that Outer Belt Highway uh, that there's a lot of buyers interested, right? Because buyers typically want to invest in like well-known cities. You will find way less buyers in rural areas. So those are a quick couple of rules of thumb as well about where to go. Uh, and the Outer Belt Highway is... Pretty much every city in the U.S. has a highway that kind of goes around the outskirts of town. So you can go 20 minutes within the inside or outside of that outer belt, but just avoid like the quickly gentrifying areas that you may find in certain parts like near the, the heart of the city. Also, um, you can wholesale anywhere. You know, the business model is truly like a pawn shop, where if you have a, an asset that you've bought under value, you can resell it to someone else and make a spread as the middleman. But these rules of thumb will give you the higher chance of success from my experience. So that was, we covered conditions and now we covered the neighborhood conditions. Let's talk about what info you need to collect when you see a house like this. So really all you need to do is jot down the address or in your notes, you can actually write down the address of the notes. And I've even seen if you Google the address, then there is a little property that comes up and you can like share that to your notes app and it looks pretty nice actually. Of course, you know, Deal Machine is a platform that was created for this purpose. And when I was starting out, I heard from an investor that if you send a piece of mail with an actual photo of their house, that the response rate for this investor was much higher. And so Deal Machine lets you take a photo um, I actually took the photos on my phone and then I was trying to use Microsoft Word to match the photo with the address. But once I got home, I realized the address was hard to see from the photo. So it's hard to match that with the correct address that I wrote down. So anyway, Deal Machine lets you take the photo and capture the address at the exact same time when you point your camera, your phone at the house. So consider that there's a seven day free trial. DealMachine.com slash pod is where you can sign up for that if you wanted to try that out. And a benefit of the photo that the mail sends from Deal Machine with that photo on it, so you get that higher response rate. But when they call you, it's nice to be able to go back and see something more current than a Google image, which can be out of date to a year to five years, depending on the area. It's nice to be able to see exactly what that house looked like when the owner ends up calling you back, gives you more confidence on the phone. So now we've covered three things in my framework so far, condition of the house, neighborhood conditions, and what info to collect. And that brings us to the final thing is your $10,000 fee. So the general rule of thumb is uh, you take 10, 15% of the after repair value if you're an experienced wholesaler. So if you have a $160,000 house that is $160K in perfect condition, it's not what you're buying it under contract for, but it is the perfect condition then you could expect to make up to $24,000 fee. And if you have a $50,000 house, you can't even renovate a 1,000-square-foot house for less than 50K. So if it's rundown and the neighborhood is only worth 50K in perfect condition, you can't even do that deal. So again, move to streets where the perfect condition house is worth over 100K at least. And if you do end up bagging a deal that could be worth 160K, take 10K and move on to your second deal. The speed of getting that deal done is gonna unlock what's truly possible for you. And speed is the name of the game when it comes to wholesaling real estate and not getting into analysis paralysis. So if you're frustrated by your job, building your side hustle up will give you the freedom to quit. And there's nothing more tried and true with as big of potential as wholesaling real estate because 15% of a freaking house ends up being like quite a bit of money that makes it worth your while to go through this process of finding these homes and making these finder's fees. You look for a rundown house. You make sure it's in the right neighborhood. Write down the address, take a clear photo so you can reach out and talk to them with confidence and then you end up making your fee. Let me know what you guys like most about this if you're in Spotify in the Q&A section and leave us a review letting us know as well what your favorite part was and why you want financial freedom. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Deal Machine Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please leave us a review and follow along wherever you're listening to your podcast.